Welcome to Air for VR Counselors. I'm Dr. Olivia. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're joined by Michael Beers. Michael is a comedian who lives with, with a disability and teaches self-efficacy to youth with disability through improv. Mike, welcome. Hey, thank you, Olivia. Thanks for having me. Of course. So um, the first question I have for you, just simply tell us what motivated you to become an advocate for youth with disabilities. Yeah, uh, fantastic. So I would say that it really started um, the summer after my senior year of high school. So I, um, it was very, uh, it was very, I don't know if serendipitous is the right word, but I performed uh, as a comedian the, for my, the first time in uh, May of my senior year. And then that July, um, I went to our state's youth leadership forum. So a lot of states, I believe, the last time I checked, I think there are 20 some odd states that have youth leadership forums. And I knew nothing about it other than it would look good on my resume. Yeah. And it was something for uh, young people with disabilities. And I, um, and I think I share this with a lot of students I've worked with back then and even today. Like we're, we're not necessarily prone to like rushing toward um, programs for people with disabilities when we're young. Um, I certainly wasn't because I, you know, somehow um, there's not a sense of place in that community. Uh, mm. You know, you're almost the polar opposite. You want to distance yourself from that label because um, somehow, um, you know, being a part of something that's specifically for people with disabilities made me feel more disabled or more isolated somehow socially. Okay. So. And I think that's a lot, it's true for a lot of students with, with um, disabilities, apparent and non-apparent. Um, but I went and um, that week for me, so um, typically you go and you stay at a, a college campus for a week and hear all kinds of speakers about your goals and resources that you can connect with and um, things like that. But the two things I really got out of it were First off, when I walked through the, the door, I was very nervous and very scared because I hadn't spent that much time away from my family. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but uh, I noticed right away that a lot of the staff had disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, and throughout the week learned that, you know, even the staff that didn't have disabilities, I could see maybe dealing with, you know, disabilities that are more non-apparent. Um, and that was that was way different for me. So every other program that I'd been a part of or been uh, recommended to be a part of uh, tended to be people without disabilities, you know, that really wanted to help me out and, you know, have the best intentions, but sometimes yeah. it feels like, you know, maybe they're in it more for them than they are mm. for, for you. Yeah. Um, so to have the staff be people that understood, you know, what it was like to have disability with you all the time at school, in relationships, and you know, uh, looking at your goals. That was huge for me. Um, and then I think the that was when I I first started to understand the history and culture behind disability. So, yeah, I knew I was in special education my entire school career, um, and I knew I had an IEP. Mm -hmm. um, and I was annoyed by both of these things, um, but I had no context for how those things came to be 
and more importantly, who the people were that, you know, fought those battles and died in some cases. Because, so I could be annoyed by them. Yeah. Um, so hearing those stories really, you know, made me open my eyes to, because uh, that's not something I ever got um, in, in public school um, and in growing up. So, so yeah, I think those, those two things really um, inspired me to say, well, if I didn't get it, other students aren't getting it. And what part can I play in, in making sure that, you know, they get this at an earlier age so um, they can go through that experience. Okay, that's, that's an incredible experience to have. Um, so then how did you end up marrying your career as a comedian and your advocacy work with youth? So it wasn't, uh, it, it was it was a reluctant process. Uh, it was more of an arranged marriage <laughs> than, than anything I intended. So after, um, you know, after I performed for the first time and I, I was not a very outspoken person. In fact, the, 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 the story on me for my first YLF was like, hey, is this kid nonverbal? Like, is, is that part of his, I was like, I was like, no, he can talk. He just doesn't do it. Yeah. Um, so really doing stand-up for the first time um, it was a shock for a lot of people around me. Uh, but the first time I got up on stage and, and I was taller and louder than everybody else, and I heard somebody laugh, the, the, the thing I said, it was, it was, it was love at first laugh. I knew this had to be a part of my life in some form going forward because I felt more like me than I've ever felt in my entire life. And something about another, a piece of our culture that I don't know that we talk about enough is that a big part of it is we're really good at trying to be other people. Mm. Like my, my school career um, up to probably my, you know, getting out of high school was much more about studying other people than it was about my subjects. So because I didn't feel like I fit in, you know, I would look and say, okay, what do you wear? What do you talk about? Mm. If I'm asked about this question, how do I respond yeah. in order to try to fit in? So um, there's not a really, there's not really uh, much time to say, well, who am I? Um, uh, outside of trying to be other people. So stand-up for me was really that, that confidence boost. And then when I got, I found the YLF, um, an independent living center. Um, uh, I, right my freshman year at college, got a hold of me and I started getting involved there. And that became my first job, uh, my first, uh, outside of, you know, babysitting and, you know, mowing lawns. Occasionally, that was my first interview. That was my first, you know, hey, you have the job experience. Mm. And in the beginning, it really was about, well, here's, here's a career path that can pay my bills. And it's something I enjoy. And it's something that's, you know, I know I'm going to get a paycheck every two weeks. Mm. Um, where where stand-up was either, you know, I wasn't getting paid or it was you know, a check every now and again. So it wasn't something I could keep, you know, uh, sustainable. Um, and so I, I really saw them as, as separate things. Like, you know, when, when comedy comes, you know, calling and, you know, the Tonight Show and SNL star, like, 
okay, I'm going to let, you know, maybe I have to let this advocacy work drop off a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and, but the more I got involved with the Independent Living Center, Summit Independent Living Center here in Montana, um, the more, you know, those Venn diagrams start moving closer together. And um, I was using a lot of the things that I learned and the confidence I had in stand-up and performing in front of people um, in the classroom working with students. So, you know, just in my own teaching style and also some of the games, uh, this is where improv starts to sneak in. Um, you know, we start doing some improv games in the classroom with students and our, um, we have a program called Balls. <laughs> it's uh, building advocacy and learning leadership skills. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, it's really started out um, as an attempt for me never to be asked to teach again. Uh, so I was like, they'll never go for this. They're never <laughs> going to go for a program called Balls. Um, but the director said, absolutely, let's do it. And so that was 13, 15 years ago. So, um, uh, so really going in, in, into classrooms with that, that, that mindset that um, life is inherently improv. So for people that aren't familiar with improv, um, it's a form of theater where you're not handed a script. You're given guidelines. So, you know, what is, you know, how do these two people know each other and where are they? So, okay, they're, they're you know, a uh, lawyer, client on the moon, and then you have to make something up mm -hmm. in, the, in those guidelines. And, you know, it really does transfer to life. Because how often in life are you handed a script at the beginning of the day and said, here's exactly what you're supposed to say, and here's exactly how people are going to respond to you. And as nice as that would be, that would be so nice if I knew going into things. But it's not, we're given a class schedule or we're giving a meeting agenda. Mm -hmm. And our success or failure uh, individually and collectively is how do we make up the dialogue in between those points? And that's an improv game. Mm -hmm. uh, and what better way to, to learn that skill than by having fun and you know, having it not be about getting a job or surviving a board meeting. Um, so yeah, building those, that confidence um, in, in a way where you're having fun and also understanding that what do I do when I feel panicked and I don't know what to say? Yeah. What do I do when what I thought was gonna happen doesn't happen and I gotta go a whole different direction? Um, those are all things that happen in improv all the time. Um, so it also builds that relationship you know, I, I still get awkward. I still don't like talking, um, especially if I don't have a microphone in my hand. Um, but I, I have a new relationship with that feeling yeah. and I know how to get beyond it um, and actually, you know, kind of mold it into something where I don't feel bad um, and go forward that way. So, so that's really where I started was in the high school classrooms. And then um, the BASE program um, is, uh, it's not an acronym as much as I love acronyms. Um, it really started as a conversation uh, amongst people, uh, voc rehab counselors included, that we work with. And it was, you know, on the drive to a conference or 
you know, in, in you know, getting dinner afterwards or on the car from schools um, or at YLS, you know, and began this conversation about, hey, we have these great things that like a youth leadership forum or different states have a transition conference and mm -hmm. students start to, you know, feel themselves like I did. They start to like, hey, you know, um, here's a community of people and here's, you know, some ways that I can give back, which I think is a, a something maybe we'll talk about later, but, um, but they're fleeting. They're mm -hmm. one week, of, they're one week during a summer and only 25 students can attend. Mm. They're once a year and it's over a weekend. So, and in a rural state like Montana and anywhere really, like what happens when you go home though? Yeah. And do you want that feeling? Like you can't, um, so, um, and combined with some of the other programs we're doing, we also, I was also at this time, we were working with a, uh, we have a fledgling group of comedians in Missoula. Um, uh, where it was just me for like 10 years. So they were getting bigger and they were, you know, we were outgrowing coffee shops and, you know, people's living rooms to meet. So we, we were also kind of, so anyway, we combined these couple of things into the, the idea that uh, we need a place. We need a place locally where people can go. When they mm -hmm. So, and the reason it's called base is because we've all played a game of tag. It's, it's pretty universal. Um, and when you play tag, when you make up a game, you, the first thing you do is establish base and whether it's the monkey bars or your couch, like the understanding is if my hand is on this spot, mm -hmm. no matter how stressful the game is, if my hand is here, you can't mess with me. I can take a breath. I can make a plan. I can just be. Mm -hmm. But the understanding is I can't stay here. I have to go back and play the game. That's true. My ability to come back is infinite, but I can never stay here. Um, and that's really the part that we liked from an independent living and a goal standpoint is you can come here whenever you need, but you can't stay here. We're always gonna push you back to the game. So wouldn't it be nice to complete the analogy? <laughs> if as an adult, as a young adult, or you know, somebody of any age, if life is the game, wouldn't it be nice if you knew where to run mm -hmm. and like put your hand and say, no. for an hour, for an afternoon, I'm a teacher, I'm a student, um, I'm me, and I don't have to, and I know this is a very loaded statement right now, <laughs> I don't have to wear a mask. Yeah. I don't have to wear a mask here. And I think that's, you know, sure as I know, that's the, all the people that are tired or like, throw a fit an adult tantrum for wearing a physical mask this year are all the people that haven't worn masks their whole lives very true the rest of us are fine with wearing a physical mask because i wear 15 masks every day when i leave my house mm -hmm. depending on the audience that i'm in front of you know whether it's my family whether it's my friend group whether it's my job whether so so yeah putting <laughs> putting a physical mask on is nothing um, but it is also nice to have a place where you can just, um, so uh, uh, where comedy and improv comes in is we're not just, you know, a, a place where people can come sit. We want to create interest, we want to create community around interest and not label. Yeah. So 
the I um you know something that I know in independent living and I know voc rehab you know being in these circles of conversation my you know and it's uh, I I don't know if it's always been this way but since I in the early 2000s got involved when we talk about community and people with disabilities the focus is employment and housing so we want to we want people to live in the community so you got to give them a, a like a place to live and a job mm-hmm. in Missoula where I live would be the case or Atlanta wherever you are um but we've really kind of again in these conversations started to rethink community community Missoula itself is not a community it is a geographical location on a map mm. community is a group of as little as two people that care about you and care whether you show up and if you don't they're going to call you and that you share the same interests with it's not a group that you you know <laughs> i'm blind you're blind or a community that's not a community you're two blind people so you know how do we build community on interest instead of label um was a big part of it and that's where you know our first program at base at the community center uh was improv so it's improv open to the entire Missoula community mm-hmm. free of charge and obviously we are an independent living center so our emphasis and our you know uh our north star is accessibility is to yeah. make sure that whoever you are when you come through that door you feel welcome and that you can participate in something i think that was another big uh lesson that we learned from like uh um accessible playgrounds that are popping up you're seeing more like inclusive playgrounds mm-hmm. around the country um but jenny montgomery one of the parents that got us started on the playground you know in the focus groups what really came out is that not everything on the playground needs to be accessible to everybody but everybody needs to be able to do something mm. so that keeps it away from being that program for those people yeah it's that program for those people which is what i grew up with it's isolated yeah. you created a playground that's an institution um whereas if you focus on the entire community and also the idea that everybody can do something then mm-hmm. you know you can start building those those relationships so um so yeah we've uh, we've been uh and i would say the other thing that really i think uh has been amazing uh and why i bring up the group of comedians is because we didn't have like money for <laughs> comedians in montana we don't have money to um to rent space when we need rehearsals and mm-hmm. you know, these things um so the deal that the from right when we opened in 2015 the deal that uh the center struck with the comedians was you can use this space at in the evenings and the weekends and when we're not in here free of charge but as a group you're responsible for 15 hours of volunteer time a week which was way more valuable than any like $25 an hour whatever. Yeah. So it infused our programs not only with you know people from the community that didn't necessarily identify as disability but it was also energy and creativity in the you know um and we ended up you know 
you know, after volunteering for a year, some of the, 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 the comedians even were like, oh yeah, I have, you know, ADHD or I've, you know, uh, struggled with dyslexia. So they ended, you know, um, they ended up identifying. So from yeah. a center perspective, we were like, wow, okay. <laughs> like, here's a community we never would have reached out to um, otherwise, but, you know, through improv and, you know, a wrestling group. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> you don't actually wrestle. We just talk smack like they yeah. do. <laughs> well, but, it's, it yeah. sounds like your, your journey, your journey has come in full circle, right? Because you mentioned in the beginning how when you attended that first conference, the thing that happened for you was the feeling of not belonging. And mm -hmm. you have been intentional in being involved in helping create programs that foster community. Um, because ultimately for you, that was the thing that was missing uh, when you were coming up. It was like the programs were there, but you didn't feel validated as a young person. So I, I just love the intentionality um, that you have put into fostering community and everything that you've been involved in since becoming an advocate. Yeah, that is, I, I hadn't connected those dots, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that is, that is, uh, and it is something that we don't, um, we, I think like funding does this and also our, like just the way we, nonprofits are, um, are set up is that we're always, we're all evidence-based, right? Mm -hmm. Everything has to be evidence-based. And that's one thing we've struggled with funding and we credit our center has been amazing with letting us run with this, these ideas. Um, is, uh, well, it can't be evidence-based if no one's done it before. Um, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and, as a, and as a group of artists, like we can't help but be audience-based. So we're not evidence-based, we're audience-based. And this is, you know, this is what the community is telling us um, yeah. that they need and we need to, you know, how can we respond to that? It's been, has been a cool thing. So to see some of that and get the ideas from the community in creative ways has been cool. So just based off of uh, your personal experience and the, ex um, the experiences that you have observed with the youth that you currently have worked with in the past and are currently working with, what are some of the most common day-to-day -day challenges that you with, disabil with disabilities experience? Okay. Um, uh, in, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I think in the years that I've been doing this, I've, uh, I've come up, I've boiled it down to two words that I can give a couple TED Talks about. Um, solicited or not, I end up giving them just unsolicited all the time. Uh, uh, community and loneliness. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to, there's other things, um, but I think in work, listening to the students over the years um, and thinking about my own experience, if we don't start as a community, whether it's, you know, you call yourself independent living or voc rehab, or, you know, if you, if you say you work in disability, we need to start intentionally focusing on loneliness as a barrier and uh, community like we like I talked about um, and one story that really I think 
helped point this out to me. I was in a, I was doing a comedy show um, for a, for an independent living com or in a, it was a, oh no, it was an advocacy conference in Michigan. And I have a fantastic mentor of mine over the years, uh, Jim Whalen, who's a center director um, and a person that's been uh, visually impaired since he was a kid. And it was, it was one of these between meeting conversations and he was talking to this other old guy. They're like 65, 70. And they were, they, you know, that game where, where old guys really like to like crap on millennials. They were having a yeah. little bit of that. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> and I did it too until I realized I was one by like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, but there were, you know, all of these kids don't know how good they have it. Like they've never, you know, lived in a world without the ADA the Americans with Disabilities Act and, mm -hmm. you know, before it was so rough, we didn't have the ramps and we didn't have this. And I really expected Jim uh, to kind of just pile on, but he didn't. He stopped the, his friend he was talking to. And he said, yeah, I get that. But even back before we had these laws, I never had trouble getting somewhere that 10 of my friends wanted me to be. And that hit me hard um, because it made me think about my experience and every youth I work with every day. And there's ramps in the majority of the buildings they need to go in. There's physical accessibility and elevators. And we even have braille menus and better access, I'm not going to say good access, better access to interpreters and things like this. But I don't know any of them that have 10 friends. Mm. And so as many gains as we've made in legislation yeah. um, and accessibility, I, I wonder if we have lost focus on, on that part of it. Because what good is a restaurant that's fully accessible or a movie theater if you don't have, you know, people that want you to be there? Yeah. Um, so I think that... Um, I think that's a, that's an issue we need to to be better about. Um, I also um, I think that a conversation that we've had a lot with students uh, over the I would say the last ten years is, in your opinion, and these are most majority high school students, sometimes college. Um, in your opinion, like right now. Um, what is a bigger barrier potentially to a student having a visible disability that other people can see that you have like, like my, I have a short right arm with four fingers um, on one hand. I call it my hour hand because uh, I also have the minute hand. <laughs> Silly clock jokes. But um, I um, see so I was uh, making jokes and then I forgot what train of thought I was on. Um, oh, but it's okay. So is it easier to have a bigger barrier if you have a disability other people can see, or is it, if you have a disability um, you deal with every day, but people can't see by looking at you? And where you want to get them as a facilitator is the idea that your the impact of your disability depends on you as an individual and circumstance. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if I'm taking a if I if I'm have trouble reading and I'm climbing a set of stairs, my disability doesn't affect me at all. But if I'm taking a test and a pop quiz I wasn't ready for, 
whoosh, that shoots up my disability is all that matters right now. Mm -hmm. You want to get them and have that conversation. But overwhelmingly, with the answers that we get back, are it's harder to have a disability people can't see. Mm. Um, and, you know, you've had, I've had students stand up in the middle of assemblies and say, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm on the spectrum. I have autism. And it's hard because everybody knows not to make fun of your hand. And with, and he sat down with the, you know, the punchline being, they don't know not to make fun of me. Yeah. And with, with everything in the media around mental health, every time there's a shooting and, you know, the, the misconceptions and, and crappy puzzle piece campaigns that are out there about autism being an epidemic, you know, that's, that's really where the, the discrimination, the social discrimination and the pragmatics discrimination is happening is not with the, you know, the, the wheelchair symbol on the parking sign. Yeah. It's, it's with the, the people that we say are under this umbrella, but have we met that promise that we made in making them a part of the advocacy um, that we're striving for? So, so yeah, and so recognition, I think of the, those struggles. I mean, I, I work at a place where, you know, a majority of the people have a physical disability, but in 15 years of going into classrooms, I'd say a majority of the people in special ed have disabilities I can't see. Yeah. So, you know, where, you know, as programs and, you know, folk rehab, independent living, how are we meeting that paradigm? Um, versus like when we got started. I know, you know, Voc Rehab start, start was very much a focus on blind and low vision and, and physical disability and acquired disability. So I think uh, pre-ETS is a good start. Yeah. I think, that, you know, that's, that's been a cool shift I've seen over the last, you know, handful of years, but. Yeah. So what are some, um tips or just thing maybe like two or three things um, that you will want the VR counselors listening to this podcast to know or just to keep at the forefront uh, as they're working with youth with disabilities. All right. Um, I, and this again this is where I really credit the, like the Priet um, for the, the informational interviews and the, and the, the work experiences. So I think uh, being a product, the old world, uh, before pre-ETS, you know, I went through voc rehab. I am a, I'm a comedian, uh, a professional comedian, in part because of voc rehab, because mm -hmm. I have a VR counselor that after two years of helping me with my, um, my, my goal to go to the University of Montana, you know, uh, you know, I was doing everything. I was kind of doing the bare minimums. Uh, but he also kept seeing my name in the paper of, you know, you're having a show here, you're doing it. He's like, is this really where your heart is? Is this really like in, in college? And I was like, no. And he's like, you can, we can change your goal. Yeah. You can be a stand-up comic. And uh, so, yeah, uh, he did. And uh, they helped me with demo tapes because that's how old I am. 
Uh, I remember the old VHS. My first demo tape was a VHS toaster. Um, um, but it was like the old set, the old setting was that VR couldn't talk to me until I was my ex, the junior year, second semester, typically. And, um, and then I remember going through the assessments and you, the emphasis was not, I was never encouraged to get a job um, before uh, Voc Rehab got involved. And it wasn't because I didn't need to get a job or my peers weren't. It was because I, did, I <laughs> in order for other people, the adults in my life, they all said, in order for you to get the things we think you need, um, don't get a job. Don't prove that you can work. Because um, if you prove you work, you're not going to be able to be eligible for these things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I almost had to, you know, say, oh no, I can't flip a burger. I can't do this. I can't. Um, but in working with young people, that's there's something gained there. Having that crappy job that you don't like the manager and doesn't like that, that gives you something that I, that a lot of, you know, and if you, if you're in college and you haven't had those opportunities to fail, like other, your other peers have and learn from it, you know, you're starting at, you know, 19. Um, mm -hmm. And Boc Rehab is trying to set you up with a job that's a career, but you haven't, you haven't stumbled yet the way you can at Taco Bell. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you, now you're you're stumbling at you know an internship at a you know marketing place or a video game thing. Um, so yeah, like I think and the the work experiences help with that. Like getting that work ethic, you know, building that in um, uh, to students earlier and encouraging that as much as you can. I think is amazing. Um, second piece of advice um, is this is the like number one rule of improv um, is yes and. So rather than saying no, you say yes and something else and you build on it. Um, and this this has done like there's so many great things working with students with VR and, and outside of Oak Rehab you know, when we have the student come up and say, I want to be a video game designer, because everyone wants to be a video game designer. Or now it's everybody wants to be a YouTuber. Yes. And then you can you can hear, you can hear the adults in the room rolling their eyes. Um, uh, you know, instead of, you know, no matter, okay, there's two pieces of advice uh, wrapped up in one. Um, throw out the term level of function like, let's just retire that uh, completely. I have yet to have somebody bring it up to one of our groups and have it be a valid term referring to people. I'm so sick of it. We're all very, because <laughs> you go into classrooms and you'll have a teacher, some amazing teachers out there. I don't want to, but you'll have teachers to be like, well, yeah, I think leadership is great, but, you know, the students I work with just aren't at that level of function. And you're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> isn't being a student inherently mean that you have a lower level of function than the teacher? So instead of concentrating on their level of function, 
start thinking about how their level of function relates to your level of function. So if you if you raise your level of function a little higher, maybe you'll see theirs come up a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, you just had me like adjust my vision, like, whoa. <laughs> but that's, that's a very progressive and out of the box way to look at it because basically you're saying, you know, if you challenge yourself as the person who has that, that authority and you're navigating things differently, essentially you're modeling for your students to, to do the same thing. So if you think in a limited way, like, oh no, our cap is here, you're directly and indirectly communicating that and sending that message uh, to those young people that there's like, your limitation is here. This is as far as you can go, let's just stay here. Um, right. And that's it. So, well, I thank yeah. you. You've shared such great um, just what? information today that uh, <laughs> we have final uh, words that you want to uh, One real quick. Um, yes. <laughs> to like, as an example of that, mm -hmm. um, and this made me think when you talk, um, a colleague of mine, she now works with April, the Associated Programs for Rural Independent Living. Um, she, we were in a classroom teaching together. And this is an example. I always like to give examples. Uh, so um, we had a student who had a developmental disability and for years had told us, I want to be a race car driver. I want to be a race car driver. Um, and, you know, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, but it was the senior year. And we're like, what do you want? And he said, you know, we're in his IEP. And he's like, I want to be a race car driver. And a lot of us knew, like him getting a driver's license was going to be a struggle. So, you know, race car driver, you know. Uh, and thankfully, the you know, the, the case manager was sitting behind, but you, she rolled her eyes. And my colleague, Mary, said, okay, what do you like about it? Is it the fast speed and everything? And he said, nope. It's like, oh, is it the crowds? Is it? It's like, nope. <laughs> And within three or four questions, we got to the idea that it wasn't any of that. It wasn't the driving the car. It was the paint on the car. It was the bright logos and the, the, the different colors. That's what he was so passionate about. So working with Voc Rehab, we were able to set him up with an internship at a body shop. And he ended up doing like six months employment, um, you know, helping paint the cars. But we don't, and that always, that story sticks out to me because we don't get there. Mm -hmm. We don't get there if Mary says no. Mm -hmm. And the idea, and when we talk with students that want to be YouTubers or anything, it's very often, it's not that specific job that they want. It's that they don't have the language mm -hmm. to say exactly what they want. So, you know, as a voc rehab counselor, yeah, really like, you know, what they're saying may not be what they're passionate about. They just don't know the words or that what they're passionate about is a job, so. Yeah, or they're associating it with something that's familiar to them. So there's something yeah. about what a YouTuber does. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, like there was an aspect to, uh, to the, to the uh, race car driving uh, mm -hmm. prospect, but it wasn't the only thing, so it was, yeah the car and the the flash and all of that. Um, but he was associating because all the cars that he saw on the racetrack look like that. 
versus the regular cars that you see on the street. So I could see somebody having that association there. Um, Wow. Look, first, I just want to say thank you for just being so transparent and sharing all of this wisdom. I really think for me, the thing that stuck out is about that community piece about um, making progress in one arena as far as like legislation and different policies is great, but really going back to that fundamental aspect of creating community uh, and making sure that as we are advocating and directly or indirectly working with this youth with disabilities, we are also fostering that community, which I think that's that can resonate with anybody. When you have that, that kind of, when you feel the sense of connectivity, uh, it just makes you, like you're saying, you walk into a space and you feel like you belong. Uh, and it just adds to that advocacy um, and just that self-esteem as well. So thank you for that. Uh, mm. Any final words that you have for our listeners today? Um, I think, uh, oh, this is one I've been marinating on lately. Um, uh, be bold. Uh, so go boldly. Uh, something that, you know, I got, you know, you, you get involved with something and you drink the Kool-Aid and then you get a little older and you start looking at the ingredients. You're like, that's a lot of sugar. <laughs> maybe, maybe this Kool-Aid's good. It's just maybe I should rethink the Kool-Aid a little bit. Um, that's where I'm at with certain things. And where I think a lot of people that I talk to, um, you know, and, and that's to say there, there's a slogan in, with around disability that you see a lot. It's like ADA. Um, and the, I have t-shirts that say this on the back to boldly go where everyone else has gone before. And, I, you know, and it, it, it rings true. It, it's, a, it's a nice, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, it's a nice play on words. Um, and it also is a great uh, um, phrase for the physical access that we need to boldly go where everyone else has gone before. Mm-hmm. But inherently, it's defeatist. If at my best, I'm striving to be something everyone else already is. If I'm at my best, I'm only as good as you are. Then you, you, like you said, with the, you know, level of function, like if that's the message we're putting out, it doesn't encourage anybody to strive beyond where everybody else is. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, that's the message that I think young people would like to hear more is not to boldly go where everyone else has gone before, but to boldly go. Period. Yeah, hard stop, go boldly. Um, Because there are, because if you think that way, we can start creating spaces as people with disabilities that other people want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And we're not constantly just asking to be the, invited to the party everybody's already at um i think that's to me that's been a uh a conversation that i've enjoyed being a part of lately yeah so uh, again i think that the theme today is like really that true inclusion because again i think sometimes we especially with everything that's going on these days it's like diversity diversity accessibility Mm -hmm. but when there's a lack of true inclusion all of that like means nothing um and so wow thank you so much that was such a great way to to wrap up our (laughs) talks today Uh, i I appreciate you taking this time to be with us today um 
you've shared just some just some great from your personal experience, your professional experience, and your um, your passion behind advocating and advocacy work that you're doing with youth. Uh, thank you for everything that you're doing within your community. Um, and it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for doing this podcast. Of course. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs>